This is Four People with Bishop Rob Wright. Welcome to Four People with Bishop Rob Wright. I'm your host, Melissa Rao, and this podcast is a conversation inspired by Bishop Wright's Four Faith Weekly Devotion sent out every Friday. You can find a link to this week's Four Faith and a link to subscribe to Four Faith in the episode's description. Hey, Bishop. Good to be with you. <laughs> uh, you titled this week's devotion, Consent. Yes. And it's based off of Mark chapter 5, um, where uh, Jesus heals a woman and then raises a girl from the dead. And so <laughs> that's really, right. you're, you're, unpacking, <laughs> you're unpacking what faith is, and you're saying basically faith at its base is consent. And I'm wondering if you can unpack that a little bit for us. Yeah, well, I mean, what I try to, what I'm trying to do in this meditation is bother some people, right? I want, I want to, I want to, I always want to be sort of trying to get deeper and deeper and deeper. And some people feel like faith is just intellectual consent to the likelihood of God, or, or, or faith is the, the, the stylistic component. You know, I'm Episcopalian, I'm Lutheran, my worship style looks like this. I'm Methodist, and we pray like that. Yeah, those are elements of faith. Okay, that's fine. But I mean, at the deepest level, I think the level where power is, is is that is that uh, am I genuinely giving consent to God? And and I I think that um, there's a lot of power in consent. Um, it 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 it's a it's a mature thing. It's about it's about uh, offering your authority, utilizing your authority. It's about agency. It's about your own volition. Mature is the best, perhaps the best word. It's I choose and I say yes. And in Jesus, in this wonderful story in Mark, uh, both with Jairus's daughter, he's got a baby girl. He's a leader of the temple. He's got a baby girl who's, who's uh, you know, who's near death. And an older woman who has an issue of blood, as the old Bible used to say, she was hemorrhaging and unclean, publicly shamed, um, deep inside of Jairus and deep inside of this woman at a place deeper than their infirmity and their fear. They said yes to Jesus. And somehow that was like nitroglycerin. Somehow a work of power could happen when we say a deep yes. Interesting. So I, I love that the whole idea of talking about power and authority, et cetera, because to me, those are very active things. Whereas supposing, you know, I suppose God is there mm -hmm. is passive. Yeah. It's, it's weak. It's yeah. whatever. And so I, I kind of feel like you're claiming with authority, I'm consenting and I affirm and I believe rather than suppose. Yeah, supposing is great. Don't get me wrong. I mean, maybe you look at it like a um, a grid of uh, a grid of maturity in faith, right? I mean, I think perhaps we start at a beginning, right? I want to be always careful about condemning where people are or or disparaging where people are. Some of us can just barely muster suppose right now, right? I mean, given the world, we're reading the headlines. We said, "Hell, I don't know." You know, maybe the first tickle of faith is I suppose, right? But I, what I'm also always about the business of is, is that I'm trying to I'm trying to chart. Uh, our our course for deeper water. Uh, I I think that uh, you know even in my own ministry, if I start off as bishop and we have a good cohort of people who are only at faith 101, and I leave as bishop and people are still at 101 or maybe 101 and 0.5, that somehow I haven't done my work. I haven't 
added value. I think maturity is where the journey is. I, and so, you know, Jairus, it shows himself, I mean, in that moment where he could have just despaired or denied, you know, participated in denial, you know, he, he, he says, yes. I mean, you see this again and again in scripture, you know, the, the Roman centurion, who Jesus praises for understanding authority, you know, Jesus, Jesus says, I'll go to your house. He says, you don't have to go to my house, right? I'll say yes right now and, and, and partner with you deep in my spirit that if you say all will be well, all will be well. Um, and so I just, I, I, you know, I want to hold up that expectation for us, right? Deep sense of agency. And, and also, lastly on this, it ends up becoming an archive for us, right? We move from suppose, we take a risk, we try some deep faith, we have an experience of that. Then we begin to write our own spiritual autobiography. And so I'm 57 years old. You know, some of us are older, some of us are younger. You know, we, we should be having a library at this point about our life with God. And that library should, what we, should be what we base our next adventure with God on. Right. So I found God to be faithful in X or I learned this about God in X. Now let me apply it to Y. I find out we're either, you know, uh, heading into a storm in the midst of a storm or just coming out of a storm. Right. So there's <laughs> so there's lots of material. Right. Lots of material to to, uh, you know, to find God trustworthy and yeah. to say yes again to that. So, you know, what stood out to me was you have a, a number of uh, two different phrases in quotations. Yeah. And I, I immediately went to the passage to see if you were quoting the Bible and I didn't find them in there. And so, Bishop, you talk about inner authority and the, quote, fluid area of our consent. And yeah. I'm wondering what you're quoting there. Yeah, yeah. I'm quoting I'm quoting Howard Thurman. So Howard Thurman, if you don't know this uh, particular meditation, you got to go Google this thing. This is rich. Howard Thurman says, in every person, and I'll give you the short version, in every person there is an inward sea, right? And in the middle of that sea, there is an island. And on that island, there is an altar at the center. And standing guard over that altar is an angel with a flaming sword, he says. And he said, nothing gets on that altar without our inner authority, without the fluid area of our consent. So what he's saying is, is that, He's asking the question, really, what's on your altar? And I think that's really good for us to be paying attention to. What's on my altar? Maybe my altar got redistributed, you know, in COVID. What's on my altar? Maybe your altar got changed in a divorce. What's on your altar? Maybe my altar has gotten changed with physical ailments. What's on your altar? But he's basically saying, uh, he's trying to, he's teaching a masterclass on how faith works. Right. And about the power that comes with being made in the image of God. You and I have power. Right. And so something got on our altar and we placed it on there. We said yes to it, you know, wittingly or unwittingly. Right. Explicitly or tacitly. We've allowed that thing on our altar. And what he's just wanting to acknowledge is, is that you have control. You're not up, you're not sort of just riding your life like a roller coaster. You know, what do you say about what your life will look like? Right. And so I think that that is just that's mature faith. He's that's mature faith. And so he's, he's saying nothing is on your altar without your consent. Nothing. So how you hold your wounds is on your altar. So maybe we ought to cough up the victim stuff at some point. 
right? Nothing, you know, nothing is on your altar uh, without you saying quietly, loudly, you know, consciously yes to it. Now, that's not condemnatory, obviously. That's creative as far as I'm concerned. In fact, I'm quite excited about that. It means I have power and agency. And wow, God made us like that. <laughs> Thanks be to God. <laughs> right. And, 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 in Thurman, and in Thurman's beautiful meditation, you know, who is the angel standing guard of the altar? Sometimes it's, it's the words of parents. Sometimes it's the words of people who hurt us most. Sometimes it's the, it's the words of people who, who loved us best. Who's standing guard, you know, over your altar, right? Who are the great mentors and mentees, sheroes and heroes who are standing guard there? You know, I mean, that meditation alone from Thurman, you know, could, you, could, you could be at the beach for a month with that one. You know, <laughs> that's, a, that's a morning walk at the beach partner right there. That's right. All right, friends, well, we'll be right back after a short break. Thank you for listening to Four People. To first-time listeners, we encourage you to subscribe. For all updates, you can follow Bishop Wright on Instagram and Facebook at Bishop Rob Wright. And now back to Four People. Welcome back to Four People. Bishop, I'm, I'm curious about the idea of consent where the authority comes from. And I was really interested when you were talking about kind of a grid or a sequence or a prog progression process, if you will, of maturing in faith. And I'm wondering if, if you think there may or may not be a preamble or a prerequisite to consent. Um, I mean, it, well, it's, yeah, go ahead. Can I, can I flesh this out a little bit more? Cause Please. I was really thinking about, I was thinking about the father of the daughter and I was thinking about the woman who showed up and I was wondering what might have gone through their minds before they showed up seeking Jesus. Yeah. Well, in, in, uh, in the, I mean, as much as we can sort of look back, you know, and read somebody else's mail, you know, through this, <laughs> you know, I mean, it, it looks like Jairus, um, was a leader of the temple, right? And so Jesus was already sort of an outlier dude. So he's like, you know, he's the storefront preacher dude in the story, Jesus, that is. And Jairus is the established religious leader in the community, you know what I mean? Who's on the dais and the political events, you know, Jairus is that dude, right? And so it may be that it may be, now, I don't want to get in trouble with the scholars who might be listening, but it, it, it may be that Jairus realizes that He's got the beautiful form of faith, but perhaps he's missing some substance of it. And I believe it's his desperation that helps him to find Jesus, the storefront preacher dude, right? When Because he's got no other option. I think this is also true when you look at the woman who has an issue of blood, right? She's had it for many, many years. Uh, and as Sam Cooke's great old song tells us about this story, you know, Sam Cooke used to be a gospel singer before he became the Sam Cooke that we all know. But Sam Cooke sings this song about this story, which is which is beautiful. And, and she had run out of options also. But but something in them believed uh, in the midst of their desperation that there was something that Jesus could do for them. 
something that Jesus could do for them, and that they wanted to bring their yes and their hope and even their desperation to him. And so it was alive, it was visceral, it was vital. And, uh, and somehow that there was a synergy that happens there with consent. And that's what I'm trying to describe in, in, in this meditation. There's a synergy that happens there. We don't always have to get to desperation, right? But I think a lot of people would tell us is that they tried Jesus in a moment, right? And found that faith is real. Yeah. Well, one word that you didn't use yet is hope. Yeah. And so I'm wondering where hope and faith align. Yeah. I mean, you know, they, they are, they are part of the same Oreo cookie, aren't they? I mean, you know, I mean, it's, it's, <laughs> yeah. I mean, we, because we, we think in terms of Western systematic theology, we always want to tease this out, but you know, <laughs> In you know, in the life of simple people, I'm, I'm I don't think the woman with the issue of blood at that moment was like, well, yes, let's talk about the difference between my hope and my faith at this particular moment. <laughs> I I think she was saying, help, help. Right, Annie yeah. Lamont has that great you know the, you know one of the great prayers that anybody has ever prayed is not these eloquent beauty pieces of ornate beauty in our prayer book. It's help. Yeah. And, you know, both of these people in this story say help, but that not only a disempowered help, but I'm willing to meet you at the intersection of help with the only thing I can offer in this moment. I can't fix my daughter and I can't fix my blood, my issue of blood. I can't fix my chronic illness, but I can meet you in the possibility that you can do something about it. Yeah. Yeah. That's consent. Uh, well, I'm also very mindful of where some people are, at, at least I know where I'm at in my desperation. And I'm sorry I'm bringing up our, our good pal, Walter Brueggemann. We should have him on the show, Bishop. All right. <laughs> I, I agree. I love right? it. That'd be so amazing. I guess really what I'm talking about is the disorientation that comes through, the, you know, in the valleys, in the times mm. of desperation. Mm. And mm. and I'm I'm wondering, too, how often sometimes people who aren't in the valley with you can be so sometimes condescending or judgmental and say, all you need is faith or all you need is X. And yeah, kind of pisses me off when people <laughs> go there. <laughs> Speaking theologically, it kind of pisses you <laughs> off. I got it. No, I, I mean, you know, whenever I write these things, what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to hold up this notion of uh, spiritual maturity. I'm trying to, I'm trying to define, you know, I'm trying to tell you what's on the table of contents and all that, what's in the ingredients, right? But, but what we realize is, is that, uh, you know, some people will reduce these, this invitation uh, and even spiritual expectation to a, to, a, um, to a battering ram for people, right? Like, if you could just do this. Yeah, even Jesus doesn't seem to do that. I mean, Jesus does invite people to leave little faith and move into deep water and have big faith. I mean, he's very clear about that. And he even tells some people, oh, you have little faith, right? But, but, but what worries me is, is that people will, will see that we have some sort of specific formula here or they'll reduce it to formula and then sort of beat people over the head with formula. That's not the point at all. And this is why this notion of your specific consent, your specific agency, how you are bringing yourself to those moments is so critically individual, personal, and contextual. Right. And so but but at the end of all of our specific journeys down a road that we might call consent or partnership, let's use that word or co-creation with Jesus in a particular moment. Right. 
the, the thing is, can I get there authentically? I mean, what, what pops for me in this story is that Jairus and the woman get to those intersections and those conversations with Jesus authentically. Like if I'm, if I can use another theological word, they, all the bullshit gets burned away. And when it gets burned away, it's amazing they have faith. Let's look at it from the opposite side. Jairus didn't have to have faith. He could have resigned himself to the fact that his daughter was going to die. The woman didn't have to sort of reach out to Jesus and touch the hem of his garment in faith. She could have just said, you know, uh, the doctors can do no more for me. And that's just what it is. It's just chronic and I'll just live with it. Right. And she could have been a depressed and damaged soul for the rest of her journey. Right. But what's extraordinary is, is that they reach. And I think that's one of the scariest parts about faith is, is that people are worried about the disappointment. Like, what if my faith does not yield exactly what I had hoped for? Right. And, and, and there we have to begin to move to a next level, which is faith means trusting God no matter what the outcome is. The good news and glorious news is that in this particular story, and in some of our own particular stories, the vision we brought to that moment of faith got satisfied, right? Got got delivered. Jairus's daughter is healed. She sits up, and the woman's blood uh, issue of blood stops. But if we're honest, sometimes when we take our request to God, what happens thereafter doesn't look exactly like what we wanted. And that's when it becomes real faith, because then you have to say, not my will, not my way, but God's will and God's way. Most people check out there. If they don't get the God vending machine version of what they wanted, they check out and say, the hell with the whole thing, right? So there's a whole nother level of faith to, faith to say, okay, I got to know, I got to not now, do I still have faith? And, and let me just say, lastly, you know, that's what burns some of the bullshit away in that moment, right? I'm going to get in trouble for keep using this word. But, <laughs> it's one of but, my favorite but, phrases, but, Bishop. But because, because then you realize, are you willing to trust God really, or do you just want a consumer relationship with a spiritual vending machine? Right, right. And so this is the thing about God. Like, you just keep getting real, realer and realer. Here's another, I'm just making up words now. You just get realer and realer and realer. Right. Do you trust God even when you don't? get? Here's Jesus on the cross. Feeling forsaken, giving voice to words of forsakenness. Gethsemane Garden, not knowing, not knowing, but saying, all right, praying the same prayer as mother prayed. I don't know what's going to come, but I'm yours and you're mine. Let's go see. Do this. I'm reminded of the song. Um. Some of our listeners might be familiar with Casting Crowns, a contemporary mm -hmm. Christian mm -hmm. art, uh, mm -hmm. you know, band, and they have the song "I Will Praise You in the Storm." And I think the band tells a story that it was inspired by a mother whose daughter was laying dying, or child—I'm not sure, daughter or son—lay dying in a hospital bed, and she stood on her Bible, stood on her Bible with tears streaming down her face, with hands raised in supplication. And it was God, your will be done, but I will praise you through the storm. And so that's exactly what you're talking about, Bishop, I think. It, it's, it's consent leads to partnership, trusting partnership, trustworthiness, right? And so at the end of the day, you know, what faith, faith best, faith's best fruit is, right? 
I will trust God. God is trustworthy in the storm, right? And in the sweet time. Job, our dear friend Job from the Bible, not Job, but Job (laughs) from the Bible says this. Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Right? And so, and so praise God that most of our lives won't look like Job's lives. But distill for a moment that statement. Do I have the faith that is, you know, I mean, I'm I'm talking around the edges of faith, but you know, can is the genuine article on the on my altar? which is at the center of my island, which is at the center of my inward sea. And does the world look at me and know that for better or for worse, I'm with God? Well, Bishop, thank you for that inspiring, (laughs) (laughs) inspiring message. And thank you listeners to listening for, to four people. You can follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Bishop Rob Wright. Please subscribe, leave a review, and we'll be back with you next week. 